united thousands with one goal in mind. Authentic manhood. Men's fraternity. I love that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Some of our tech guys have been working on stuff like that. Uh, make sure you have your Bibles open to the book of Proverbs. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to let you know that before we, uh, as we pray, I want to pray for Catherine tonight, sharing with the women. Uh, it's very sensitive what she's uh, willing to, to bring out and share. And, uh, and she, I don't know about nervous is the word, but she catches the gravity of it. So we want to pray for an anointing over there. Uh, because what the women are about to experience is going to be just literally off the charts phenomenal. So let's pray for us and pray for them. Father, I want to pray and ask that you would be with Catherine tonight as she uh, brings your word out uh, and brings a testimony of what you have done in her life that is literally incredible. So God, that she would uh, be able to say the things you want said, that she would find, Lord, a comfort in sharing, that the words would go and touch hearts in amazing ways, and that those of us who are here, when we get with uh, women who are in our life, we can encourage them as uh, they share with us the things that they're hearing. I pray you'd be with us too, God. I pray you'd shine a light into our lives and open up our hearts before you and, and, and help us to get a grasp and a glimpse on maybe some of the lies that have been poured into us or things that might be wounds or, or things that were never done that, that keep us from being the kind of men we should be. And I ask that you'd help us in that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, before we uh, go on, I want to make sure I announce this in a very clear way. Uh, I, I'm kind of throwing out what I consider a, a, not a challenge, but a contest, and, and it's the romantic contest. And what we want to do is uh, between now and November the 16th, uh, whichever one of you guys can do the most romantic thing for a girl in your life. Uh, and, you know, I don't know who that might be or how it works out, you know, girlfriend or, or um, you know, wife or fiance or, you know what I, I was hitting me is maybe a dad to a daughter. And, and by romantic, I mean it was just something that blesses her beyond all measure. You come up with something creative like that, you end up having to do it. You nail it and, and then have it written out and you turn it in. And then whoever does that, uh, you're going to win a $150 gift certificate to Fleming's, which is one of the best steak places all around. $150 would probably get you meal for two is what it would be. Uh, but the steaks are like that thick and off the charts good. But I also decided we're going to be unveiling in the next few days, uh, uh, and we haven't come up with the name of it yet. Uh, it's the brand new burger we're going to be serving here. And the burger itself is about that big, but it comes on a plate about that big with a ring of crispy cheese that is attached to it. And it is like so amazingly good uh, that, that it's, it's just, we, we've had some tests with it and it's gone over incredible. So not only do you get the $150 gift certificate from Fleming's, you get seven of those burgers for free. Uh, not all at once because it'd kill you. Uh, we'll, we'll stage them out and so uh, I think that's worth uh, doing this for. And I think we'll call it the Ricky Murray Award. I, Ricky always hides out on me because Ricky is such a romantic guy. And uh, by the way, I've had some staff say, well, it's too bad we can't be in. I know everybody here gets to play uh, because uh, none of us are judging. I'm going to have women judge uh, because if it was me, I don't know, I'd be like, oh, you washed your car. Good, you won. But, uh, uh, you know, so we're going to do that. Now, now, if we talk about what we've been talking about, being a man, there's no doubt that the greatest man who ever lived, the most true man to man who had ever lived was Jesus. I mean, definitely had the face of a king, definitely the warrior, definitely the friend. I mean, no better friend 
and definitely a lover. I mean, Jesus beyond all measure was that kind of a person. And I have been recommending that book in the pit, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Mark Batterson wrote something I had never thought of before, and I want to have you listen to this. Think about the manhood of Jesus and, and listen to this. It says, what we need is a little Christ-like courage to chase the lion. Now, now if you haven't heard, uh, it comes from 2 Samuel 23, where Benaniah fell into a pit or ran into a pit, and there was a lion inside on a snowy day, and he's going to have to fight and kill this lion. So he says this, what we need is a little Christ-like courage to chase the lion. Jesus never ran away from anyone or anything. He wasn't afraid of walking into the temple when he knew the Pharisees had a plot on his life. He wasn't afraid of the lunatic with the legion of demons. And when a lynch mob came to arrest him, what did Jesus do? He didn't run and hide. Scripture says he stepped forward and he identified himself. Jesus never ran away from his detractors or persecutors. He chased them. Even when his life was on the line, Jesus refused to defend himself before the judicial authorities. If he had decided to defend himself, I'm convinced that he could have, and he would have talked his way out of the cross. Why? Because he never, ever lost an argument, so he chose instead to close his mouth and go to the cross and die. That last part's what got me. You know, it's true, he never lost an argument. Why was he silent? Why did he stand there knowing he had to die on the cross for our sins? The answer is this, is, is that if he had opened his mouth, Pilate would have let him off. Pilate even wanted to let him off. It wouldn't have taken a lot for Jesus with his amazing wisdom and his amazing intellectual prowess to defeat everybody around him. And so his only option if he was going to die for you and me was to remain silent. That's a man. That's a man. And we're going to talk more and more about the manhood of Jesus, which all of us want to seek to attain and to rise up to. Now, I want to kind of remind you of some things now. And, and, and as we start to dig into what I think is the more crucial part of the application. Uh, but the bottom line is this, is every man carries a suitcase. Everybody's got this suitcase with them. And when you open it up, it's, it's all these things that you've been carrying through your life. Some are amazingly good memories, and you pull them out like trophies and say, I remember this, and I remember that, and it's like the suitcase of your mind. Some of them are, are hurtful things, and, and you pull them out, and, and they kind of hang on you, and, and the thing is, is we need to get that kind of things thrown aside. Those are what Hebrews 12 calls the encumbrances that keep us from running the race set before us the way we're supposed to, and uh, so there's every man here needs to unpack. And that's the whole idea of what we're going to get into for the next few weeks. We're going to unpack. We're going to open up the suitcase of our mind and I'm going to ask you to look inside and actually what we're doing, don't miss this, we're looking back at certain things that affect us. And we're asking how do I make sure and not have those things continue to be something that either distracts me or defeats me or keeps me from grasping all of the balanced life. And remember, all everything's in balance. All of the balanced life that God has for me. If you have your books, get ready. We're going to start right in. Uh, it's a summary of why men struggle today. Uh, and the first one, A, is some of it has to do with society. So that first blank there is society. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about distant fathering. That our society did a shift back in the Industrial Revolution that was magnified during the World War II, and it's been carried on to this day. 
uh, in the early days, and I would think in a more God-ordained way, a father would be in the home with his children. And when he went out to work, he would grab his sons and take his sons with him. And they would work side by side from the earliest stages of life. And, and 90% of a son's life was spent around his father. Today we know, and we talked about it, that that's not what's going on. We know that uh, when the Industrial Revolution hit, that father left home and he left the kids with mom and he went away to work. Uh, and he worked most of the day and when he got back, he was dead tired and, and maybe had some time with his kids, but you know, it wasn't the best of who he was. And then there was another shift in World War II. And, and in World War II, what happened is that men went away to fight wars. And, and the, the, one of the things that, that I think any of you who are World War II vets would probably tell us is, is while you are definitely the greatest generation, it's also one of those groups that tends not to talk about what happened. It's that you learned that, you know what, I, I, to, to survive, I've got to shut down my feelings a little. And so, so what happens is now you have a father that not go, only when he, now that he's back, goes away to work leaving the kids with mom, but when he comes back, he's not real talkative and, and he doesn't dig into feelings real easily. Uh, then we did another shift, and, and I probably didn't make this one as clear. Now we're in a society where both parents go to work. Isn't that right? And now it's not even mom pouring the best of who she is into the kids. So mom and dad split and go to work separately. The kids now are, are raised uh, by somebody that they have, have some kind of a con almost contractual relationship with. Whether it's a babysitter or another relative or a preschool or a school. And, and, and the best of the child's day. It is being poured into by somebody other than the parents. And, and, and so the raising of our children in our society today is not happening by that dad that's there. Maybe not by that mom that's there. But, but here's what we did notice, and, and it really is true. The vast majority of men are raised almost exclusively by women. Uh, they're raised by their mom. They're raised by a teacher in school who predominantly is most likely going to be a woman most of their school years. When they go to church, the spiritual teaching is from a woman in a Sunday school class. And so what we have is, is a problem in society. And so some of the problem we have is society. We have no role model at home for man to understand what it means to be a man. Feminism has risen and men are almost afraid to take a stand and say what it means to be a man. Here's the question I'd like to ask you. What value does our society today place on a man being a real man? What, what value is there to it? And, and if you haven't heard, there's a movement today, and I'm going to get my political bent out here. The ACLU is huge behind it to say that even in schools today, they don't want there to be any distinction between sexes, which to me is crazy. Uh, uh, real quick parentheses. Uh, a study was done a long time ago that shows, and it, everybody agrees it was an amazingly well-done study, that, that boys and girls learn differently from one another. And if we want to have amazing education, what we should do is take boys, especially in math and science classes, and have it be exclusively guys in the class, take girls and make it exclusively girls, and both groups do better. And I don't know if you heard, but in the LA Unified School District, they tried to institute that this year, and the, LA, and the ACLU sued to stop it. Because they said there should not ever be a difference. Men and, and guys and girls are exactly the same. And should, we shouldn't have distinction. And, uh, you know, and so we have a societal problem today. Uh, B, some of it has to do with family dynamics. Now this is where we're going to start to get a little more personal. 
uh, uh, many people, most people, are raised in homes that are directionless. There's no family goals. As a matter of fact, to sit around a family table and sit and talk and share about who you are and the day you had and, and the dreams you have and goals that would be laid out for you as an individual and for you as a family and your, your home being an intentional home where you intentionally gather together and intentionally seek to move forward, uh, uh, that's been lost today. When I was doing youth ministry, we uh, would used to go down to Palm Springs and we would rent out a whole condominium complex. I mean, literally 183 condominiums. And we put the kids in family settings where there would be uh, usually a, a man and woman who were married as leaders in there. And, and you know what we started hearing? The favorite part of the day was when I made them all come together to eat dinner together. You know, four to six students sitting around a table eating with them, uh, a, a husband and a wife and I am not kidding you, almost none of those students, when I talked to them, had ever really remembered doing that around home very often. Very seldom. But for five days in a row, actually six, to sit in a, living, in a kitchen around a table and eat together and talk together and share together and laugh together became their favorite part of the day. And that ought to be the favorite part of ours too. But the reality is, is we're in a society today where that's being lost. And if you have it, praise God. But you know what? We're, we're seeing those things go away. And we're not seeing well-intentioned families, uh, directed families with family goals that we're aiming for. Uh, we're finding that not only that, we find in a lot of homes today, there's an amazing amount of favoritism shown where one child is magnified above the others. And, and, and what happens is that becomes so hurtful to the other children. Uh, we're finding homes today with what we want to call unholy alliances where children are caught between their mom and dad. And rather than the goal being, how can we help this child be the best one he can be, mother and father are fighting it out, wanting a child to have to choose sides and, and making an unholy alliances, trades that actually don't benefit the child in any way. And so many of you were raised with that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's many of you today who, who, if we got really honest, you would say that there's been incredibly painful moments where you had to mediate between your parents fighting it out. Most often verbally and most often, you know, in, in mental manipulation, but sometimes physically. And by the way, let me tell you, if you're a child or a child or even a, a teenager, even today having to do that, that, that puts you in a painful position and makes you carry things you never should be carrying. And then that doesn't include the number of, of children who are abused. And, and in a room this size, it's a significant number of you that were abused physically. And uh, I'm going to say something that everybody here, I think, would have to agree with. And if you don't agree with it, I want to challenge you to think this through. Because I, I know some of you here, you, it wasn't physical abuse. It was mental and verbal abuse. And it really is just as bad. It really is just as bad. And, and that keeps a man from rising up to be who she, he should be. And that doesn't also include addictive behavior in homes of alcoholism and drug abuse and pornography uh, and, and things being said or shown that a child never should see at the wrong, right age or wrong age. Now, the next thing, number C, is some of the problems we face today have to do with dad, have, have to do with the father. Most often, a father's not even present at home. But when a father is present at home, most often... He's a passive male. 
He doesn't come home and he's not the leader. The idea of the dad being the leader of the home is a lost art today. And, and society struggles with that. And uh, the reality is, is that we uh, end up finding ourselves either with a father who's absent or a father who's there but doesn't lead out correctly. And that modeling time and again hurts a man from being a man. Now, now here's where we're going. Proverbs 14 verse 8 says this. Look what it says. It says, the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. But the foolishness of fools is deceit. Now, in other words, God says it's wise for you to understand your way. It's wise for you to understand why you do what you do. Why sometimes you're more intensively emotional than you should be and you can't seem to get grasp or balance on it, why you set goals and just can't seem to attain them, why it is that, that you just can't carry on a solid relationship at times, why it is you struggle in social settings or you struggle to rise up spiritually. Uh, uh, and, and a wise person would understand that. Uh, again, I, I'm going to do a kind of a parenthesis moment, but there's a book I have in my office. It was from a professor at Columbia University, and I've referred to it before. It's called The Faith of the, or the, the, faith of the Fatherless. The Faith of the Fatherless. And, and this Columbia professor who says he's not a Christian says that he's found that the, the most famous atheists who exist within our lifetime and even before it had one thing in common. They had no father at home. And so the idea of a God who's a father is such a far reach, they can't grasp it. As a matter of fact, interestingly, another professor hearing about this study and reading it said that maybe the church today ought to not talk about God as a father so much because the vast majority of people don't have a clue what that really is. And I want you to think about that. It, it really is hard. And, and, and I know a few of you last week came up and talked to me and said, Chuck, your story, the story you told of having a dad who's there is not the story I, I would be able to tell. As a matter of fact, one group that was here, and they're here tonight, a group of seven men went around and not one of the seven had a real father at home ever. And, and if that's you, I, I hate to say this, you're in the majority, but the wisdom of the sensible understands why you have the feelings you have. But then in the truth, grabbing hold of the truth, facing up to the truth, you can be set free to be who God wants you to be. In 1960, 17% of homes were fatherless. And today, it's more than 40% of homes are truly fatherless. Uh, father's presence determines self-image. A father's presence determines self-respect, both in boys and in girls, both in men and in women. And very often, self-respect and self-image, when we find it teetering, we find it being a mess, we find it hard to attain to, the first thing we do with wisdom is we look and ask, did you ever have a dad, a real dad-father role figure in your life who cared about you and loved you and lifted you up? And, and even if he was physically there, was he mentally and emotionally available to you? When it's not their sons and daughters usually have to find some kind of a coping mechanism. It's not that you can't get by. It's not that you haven't gotten by. But the reality is, and, and don't miss this, there's a, an emotional handicap that's placed in those times. And you might have learned to overcome. You might have learned to deny it. But, but what we're going to ask us to do now in the next couple of weeks is to face up to it. Uh, we, we need to say this together. Let's all make an agreement. We're not going to, none of us, play the victim. Uh, being the victim doesn't help. Looking back and saying, well, that's not fair doesn't help. 
That's not going to get any of us anywhere. And we've got to grab a hold of that. And so if we're going to be who God wants us to be, and we're going to unpack correctly, it's about evaluating what happened, being honest about what happened, and conquering that in our life. And it's very possible to do. It's even probable to do when you put yourself in the hands of a God who wants you to do it. Now, the second thing we want to see is authentic manhood revolves around three critical issues. Authentic manhood revolves around three critical issues. And if you have your books, A, addressing the unfinished business of the past. It's a critical thing we have to do. We must address the unfinished business of the past. How we unpack it is vitally important. Again, we don't want to be a victim to it. Uh, We don't want to let it drag us down. We don't want to put too much weight on it, but we don't want to ignore it either. The bottom line, though, is we must address the unfinished business of the past. And and here's the key, and, and, and I think this is in your book, but if it's not, this is the definition of wound we're going to use. And the whole idea of a father wound, a mother wound, uh, an isolation wound. When we use the word wound, here's the definition. A wound is any unresolved issue. That, that word's there. Unresolved issue where lack of closure adversely impacts and shapes the direction and the dynamics of a man's life. There are wounds of the soul. And are we compensating is the question. Uh, uh, I know some of you know this, but not too long ago, I cut off the tip of my thumb. I was just, I had a bagel out, and I've got this really cool knife. <laughs> I love my knives. And uh, I was cutting a bagel for Pam and laid it over, and I went to cut mine. And Pam looked over and went, hey. And I, I looked down, and I, I didn't realize that I had cut it, and blood is just pouring now, by the way, I got to tell you this. Uh, I was asked by the school to come talk to the preschool teachers, and they asked me to share part of this talk I'm sharing with you. And, and I walked in, and they were eating. So can you imagine? <laughs> the, 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 anyway, uh, so the blood is just pouring and pouring and pouring. And, and you know what is, is I had cut it off. Pam ran over and found the tip of it. And I went to emergency, and they ended up, it was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. They took the needle and shoved it in the end of my thumb, and then they cauterized it. I'd like to tell you I didn't cry, but no, I did. (laughs) And by the man, you've heard it, it takes a big man to cry. But it takes a bigger man to laugh at the man who cries. But anyway, so um, anyway, I, I, I had this, this, this whole disfigurement for a while. But, but I found that I had all these things I still had to do, like put on a shirt. Or, 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 or go try to golf or whatever. So I was always having to compensate for this thumb. I never realized how much you use this thumb. I mean, have you ever thought, do you ever walk around thinking, praise God for my left thumb? No, but you know what is when you don't have it to use, you find yourself having to compensate a lot. I do have to tell you this. I'm standing at Disneyland, just kind of leaning on a railing, and my wife is, Ricky's uh, son Noah's with us, and and Noah and Pam is taking Noah in to change him, and I'm leaning on a rail, and I see this little kid looking at me from way over there. I don't know the kid. And all of a sudden, he comes walking over, reaching out for my thumb. I was like, you'll demon possess. I mean, you know, I mean, people go for that. Now, now here's the point. When you have an area of your life that, there, that that's, a wound is there, and you've learned to compensate for what should have been a healthy interaction, every now and then, somebody not meaning to walks up and begins to touch that wound. And, and I want you to know, you, they irritate you to no end. And some of you right now, if, if you go, yeah, I know people like that. Others of you are going, That's why they irritate me. 
You know, it's someone you work with. And, and whenever they talk, you're just like, oh, man, I wish I had the power of Elijah just to strike them dead on the spot. And, and you, you, they, you see them coming, and you, maybe you live next door. Maybe they're a relative. And the reality is, is they know how to touch that area, and, and you've been compensating for it, and, and, and they're going to bring some pain to it. But, but here's the point. If you've got one of these areas that's missing, well, then you probably have gotten pretty good at compensating. But what we want to say is don't get drugged back into the pain. Understand it and move forward. Physical wounds leave physical scars, but wounds of the soul leave deep scars. And often we find ourselves being forced to compensate. If you grew up in a home with lots of pain, if you grew up in a home with lots of pain, you're probably really good at not feeling deeply. Because you learn not to. Because if you ever exposed your feelings and you were in a place of intense pain, they saw the weakness, they attacked you, they, they, they did everything they could to make you feel it worse. And so the compensation you do is you just kind of put up this big shell and you said that I'm just not going to feel anymore or I'm not going to feel deeply. Uh, uh, if you grew up in a home where there was alcoholism. Now this isn't always the case, but let me tell you the predominant case of someone in a home with alcoholism there's there's some words that you have a difficult time really saying with true meaning you know what they are i'm sorry because people who are raised in homes with alcoholics if they ever say that usually they're turned upon so quickly and destroyed by admitting fault the parent who says, I, how could you make me do that how could you make me act that way of course you're a sorry and you're like, well, then you know what? Forget it. I'll never say it again. Because I'm not about to keep being attacked like this. And, and some have learned how to shut down emotion or wall off their hearts or, or just decide it's not worth owning up to sorrow and things like that. And so what happens is uh, uh, we find ourselves compensating. Now, what we've got to do is understand the unfinished business and move forward. So we need to understand what we mean by wound. The second thing is, unpacking the past means there are five wounds we have to deal with. Now, not everybody here is going to have all five. But, but let's talk about five. And, and the one we're going to dig into next week, and actually for two weeks in a row, is this one. The absent father wound. The absent father wound. It's the dad who, even if he was physically there, wasn't there. But most often he wasn't around. Or a divorce took place and you might have gotten weekends together. Uh, an incredible number of people I've talked to have never known their dad. One man who's a part of our church hasn't seen his dad in nearly 30 years. And out of what happened last week, he was planning on calling his father and seeking to at least have a face-to-face -face talk. But the bottom line is, is that the father being absent, we always talk about. The band Everclear has a song called Father of Mine. Listen to the words. Father of mine, tell me where you have been. You know I just closed my eyes and my whole world disappeared. Father of mine, take me back to the day when I was still your golden boy back before you went away. You would make me take me to a movie. You would take me to the beach. You would take me to a place inside that was so hard to reach. Father of mine, where did you go? You had the world inside your hand, but you did not seem to know. Father of mine, tell me, what do you see when you look back at your wasted life and now you just don't see me? Daddy gave me a name. My dad gave me a name, but then he walked away. 
Daddy gave me a name, then he walked away. My daddy gave me a name, and I will never be safe. I will never be sane. I will always be weird inside. I will always be lame. Now I'm a grown man with a child of my own, and I swear I'm not going to let her know all the pain I've known. Well, we need to talk about how anybody has been through that, how they get through it. And how we can allow God to become that father he's always wanted to be, the Abba, the daddy for you. In Romans 8, it says that all who are led by the Spirit, these are truly the children of God. And God desires to have a relationship with you that's meaningful and real, where he's your Abba. And, and God says in Galatians chapter 4 that the Spirit speaks in our hearts, saying the word, say Abba. Say Abba to God, meaning Daddy, Daddy. And that God's great desire is part of overcoming this absent father wound is to come into this relationship with him. The second wound we're going to dig into in a couple weeks is this one, the overly bonded with mother wound. The overly bonded with mother wound. A mom who's overly invested, maybe out of guilt because the dad's not around or wanting to fill that void, and maybe she somewhat had to. But an incredible number of cases are guys are, are hampered, guys are hindered because what happened is they were overly nurtured and overly controlled and it was by a woman who just exerted too much strength in the life, so he was never able to rise up and be a man. And there's one of two reactions that usually comes from someone who has an overly bonded mother. Uh, one is, yeah, you can't relate to women correctly. You can't relate to women correctly. By the way, when we study scripture, there is a guy who just shines out with this problem. His name is Jacob. And, and his mom was so overly bonded in his life. We see him not able to have a, a correct marriage and a correct leadership. It's amazing that God came and used him anyway. But that's the amazing grace of God. But you know what? It's, it's people who have this. They find themselves just not able to relate. And so very often what happens is they become very rebellious in their home. The wife asks, will you take out the trash? And the answer is no. But he actually doesn't say it. He just doesn't do it. Could you help me get the kids? He sits back doing nothing. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to get real honest here. Uh, one of the great shocks I had uh, that started about 15 years ago, and, and I don't do counseling very often because I'm just not good at it, but uh, back before I discovered that, uh, I would have couples come in my office and they, they, we, we would start to talk about their problem and get ready. They, this is, and, and I'm not trying to, if this brings up something personal, let's just talk and deal through it. But I'd have a couple sitting there and I'd say, okay, well, what's the issue? And they'd say, it's our sex life. And then I'd go, oh, and here's what I started hearing. The wife would say, he won't have sex with me anymore. Do you realize I get that more than, than any other sexual issue? A wife sitting there saying, he just won't touch me. He won't have sex with me. And the guy goes, yeah, I'm tired. You know, I, I work a long day. I just can't put up with that. And I'm like, What? And I know there's some of you going, what? But no, no, seriously, and if it, it touches a nerve, here's, let me tell you what's going on. You probably, something occurred in your past, and you've learned how to use this as power. You, you've learned how to attack her. Uh, uh, and, and this is a little off subject, but let me just say this, because we'll get into it later on. When you get married, nothing, nothing feeds your self-image more than sex. Now, I know you're, some of you right now are going, yeah, but some of you are going, wait, wait, I don't get it. Now, I'm going to think about this. If you're a woman whose husband desires her, how do you think that makes her feel? 
But if you're a husband who does not desire her, do you know what that does to her? And if you're a guy and your wife does not desire you, that hurts. And most guys, what we do is we just go, well, forget it then. And, or I'll just, when I can. Or, or we, feel, we, get, we get caught into having to kind of manipulate and pressure. And uh, you know what I want to say is part of the dream of going through this here and going through that there is to put that aside so we can have, we can have healthy interaction together that way. And by the way, if you don't know that that's a spiritual issue, it's a hugely spiritual issue. As a matter of fact, one of the main words for sex in the Old Testament is the word to know one another. And they knew each other. In other words, to God, sex was an amazing form of communication. So I guess if you guys want to tell your wife we're going to communicate tonight. Anyway, uh, you know, it, but, but, but nothing, almost nothing feeds a self-image more than how sex is within the home. And, and too often it becomes a weapon. And about 15 years ago I saw men using it on women because they could see how devastating it was. They could see how, how they could always win when it came to that. And uh, it's usually the sign very often uh, of a problem and, very, and even really often of of just not the correct relationship that happened between the mother and the son. And it was a way to dominate. Uh, a lot of uh, guys who have an overly nurturing mother don't have correct boundaries in their life. They don't know how to set them. And by the way, they find them being invaded and they don't know how to push back and set them correctly because the mom did cross the boundary and she probably did so meaningly. But how do you tell your mom back off when you're five? How do you tell your mom back off when you're eight? And you know what? So what happens now is the boundaries are so hard to deal with. And, and it's a devastating thing to do. So God's great desire is to have us understand that Genesis 2.24 is real. When a guys, when you get married, it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that means there is a, a true sense of cutting of family ties, including the mom, and saying, you know, I love you, mom, but now I've got a wife who's risen up in my value over you, the, my priority that's there. And, and a wise mom wants that to happen. A wise mom wants her son to love his wife more than he even loves her. And, and puts her first. But we find too often that that, that doesn't happen. And, and by the way, that's why we have all these mother-in-law jokes. You know, I mean, right? You know, happiness is seeing your mother-in-law's picture on the back of a milk carton. You know, and uh, <laughs> behind every successful man is a mother-in-law who's shocked. But anyway, um, you know, we have all those kind of jokes. And since we're not with the women, I can tell them. And, uh, but, but... Oh, and the next thing we have is lack of courage. I just did that. Okay. Uh, the next wound is the all alone wound. The all alone wound. If you haven't caught it, God never ever made us to be alone. Now, obviously, one of, one of the ways God wants to combat loneliness is in marriage. But that's not the only way. God has created us to have deep friendships. God has created us to have amazing relationships within our family. And the problem we have today is people isolating themselves and not really connecting with others. You see, the truth of the matter is this. Are you ready? The, the vast majority of people feel lonely lots of times. Uh, I don't ever want to use this as total manipulation. But I can tell you right now that, you know, I, I go out and speak at conferences and conventions. And if I want to grab the audience, and I've learned it's every age, you ready? This is a, a kind of a trick, and maybe it's too much of a trick. 
but I just come out and do this. Hey, before we start, there's a lot of you right now, if I got really honest, you look around the room and you feel so lonely you can't stand it. And even people you talk to, they don't know you. They don't know who you really are or how you feel. And sometimes you feel lonelier in a crowd than you do when you're sitting alone at your house. And you want desperately to know how to deal with that. Now, the reason that's such a good trick is because you just don't know how many people go, wow, that's me. And maybe it's not a trick. Maybe it's just understanding the human condition of our day. And if that, what I just said, touched you, let me tell you, I would not want to manipulate that feeling that you're facing. I would want to help you solve it. Because God can have you solve it. And that all alone wound is there. Some people do find a connection in marriage. But then I want to say this. It's desperately painful when you get married and you don't find that connection. And you're laying in bed next to somebody and they don't know you and, and they don't seem to care. And I have to say this, uh, again, as a, a not very good marriage counselor, I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with couples and I could see the wife has no clue that her husband even has feelings. No, no, I mean that. It's like she's oblivious, like she thinks she's the only one in the house that has them. And I'll look at the wife and say, can you name a time you hurt his feelings? And she'll go, oh, um, oh, I don't know that I ever ha- Do you think anybody's been married more than two years and the wife hasn't hurt her husband's feelings at some point? And she's just oblivious. And and this idea of really knowing each other doesn't happen. The idea of really having a friend you can talk to is so missing today. It really is. And you know what is, is we're meant to go through life attached to someone else, kind of like mountain climbing. It's safer. It's more exhilarating. It's better when we're tethered to somebody else. And we need men. Not only our wives, not only uh, 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 others, uh, family members, but we need men in our lives that, that we can really talk to, uh, that we can share with, that we could talk about the fact that, that uh, when we're doing great, like, oh my gosh, I think I'm up for this promotion, pray for me. Or, and we need men, when you can walk in and say, hey man, I need to talk to you, you gotta hold me accountable because there's this new female associate in our office and, and I, I, I caught myself the other day when I was getting ready, putting on a shirt she told me I look good in and, and I can't believe I, I put that on excited. And, and, and we need men who you come home, you come and say, man, I just, oh man, I got so romantic with my wife and, and it was incredible. Or I was at my kid's game and you should have saw what happened when they scored that point. Or, or I was at my kid's game, I didn't know how to handle it. They got, they benched the whole time and I wanted to kill the coach and could you get with me? Let's beat them up to, you know. And, uh, you know, we need men in our lives like that where we can talk and share. Uh, uh, I don't know if this is gonna hit you, but I gotta tell you one of the best compliments I got Last week, from two different men in two different groups here afterwards, is I had two different guys come up and say something like this. They said, you know, I, I, I wasn't ever against the men's fraternity thing, but I got to tell you, it's really hitting me. And I really wasn't thrilled about the idea of getting in a group with a group of guys. But I found myself sharing things I never would have shared if my wife was sitting next to me. Not because I don't want her to know it. It's just I wouldn't have done it in a group setting with her there. And uh, it worked. By the way, the reason we get into groups afterwards is I, I know it's not always going to click and it's always going to nail together. And what I'm saying is if you're in a group and you don't click with that one tonight, move to another one. And, and, and I know some of you go, well, okay, you know, but just get in a group tonight and be with other men and share because we're not ever meant to live our life alone. 
Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. But maybe more important than that now is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And I love this. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That third strand is Jesus. And Jesus is always in the midst of quality friendships and quality marriage relationships and quality family relationships. But I want to go back to friendship. How blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. When brothers come together and lock into each other. How blessed it is, God says, and I'll be in the midst of that. Uh, one of my best friends uh, lives, matter of fact, he's going to be speaking at the men's retreat. Uh, but he was hiking Mount Whitney with a group of guys. And, and it, a storm set in and it got colder than they, they were expecting. And they got trapped up on the mountain. And my friend uh, uh, had literally started into thermal uh, shock. He, he was, uh, the exposure, the cold, it, he, was, he was really about to go into shock. And then one of our other friends, I wasn't there, one of our other friends realized what he needed to do, and he quickly gets him into kind of a makeshift tent, and he pulls off all of his clothes, shoves him into a sleeping bag, he takes all off all his clothes, and he gets in there to keep him warm. And the doctor said later, had that guy not done that kind of contact to him, he wouldn't have made it. Now, what I'm trying to say is, is spiritually, we need to come together with intimacy. Spiritually, we need to come together with honesty. Spiritually, we need to look for other men and say, you know what? When I'm freezing inside, lonely inside, hurting inside, man, you're the kind of guy who'd get close to me and make sure. You make sure that I, I, I find that warmth, I find that strength to make it. That's what God would want us to do. And we need to have a connection. We need to be able to share our victories, our joys, our sorrows. And uh, we need to be able to have times to celebrate and times to, to sit and pray together. Um, really, only in community will we find ourselves really, truly being delivered from weakness in the circle of doom that so quickly can formulate around us. And Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen is a, a verse that we've got to lock in our minds, and almost all of you know it. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And uh, God says, I want you to know that that's the best way to be the best you can be is to be around another man. And I want to say this real quickly. We need older men to mentor younger guys. Uh, and, and let me tell you that, that out of the Generate ministry, which is exploding, last uh, Wednesday night, 1,114 people were here for our Generate service. But you know what we're hearing? We're having guys out of that group say, hey, are there some older guys that can mentor me? And my prayer and dream is at the end of men's fraternity, we're going to have a significant number of you say, I'll do that. I'll get with a young guy or two or three young guys, and I'll pour into their life. And by the way, if you think you have to be perfect to do that, that's not what it means. It just means you've got to be older. You've got to have been there before. And, uh, and that includes me. We need to get with some young guys and say, tell me how you're doing. Let me tell you what it was like. And we need to, to let them know that God has an amazing plan, and they can move forward. And we got to see that happen. Now, the next one is the lack of manhood vision wound. The lack of manhood vision wound. And in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, 
The people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. And here's the point. When, when there's no vision, there's nothing to shoot for, nothing to aim at, we find ourselves unrestrained. We find ourselves wandering. We don't find ourselves being what we should be. But you know what we got to have? We got to have men who have vision about what it means to be a man. And we're watching men get that vision. And we're watching those men live lives of passion. And this is the key word, intention. Intentionality. Where we are aiming at something and we plan to hit it. And we know that our goal is to be successful. To be, and that means to be who God made you to be. And to live lives that have significance. And we need to do it passionately. Zephaniah 1.12 says, It will come about. It's the verse I read this morning. And it's talking about the, the second coming of Christ. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit. Who are, who are complacent. God says, when I come and I don't see a man who's passionate and on fire with a great heart desire, he says, you know what, something's wrong there because I created you to live life of passion. And by the way, we're not talking about an introvert having to act like an extrovert or you not being who you were meant to be in the eyes of God. What we are saying, though, is it's a life that's amazing and you grab hold of it, but you have to know the kind of man God created you to be. And then the last of the five wounds is the heart wound. The heart wound. There are four nurture wounds, the ones we just went to before. Not having vision is the idea of a society that doesn't help us and a family that doesn't guide us. Uh, the idea of the, the mother and the father, the idea of being all alone, uh, all of that are, are nurture issues, things about how, to do with how you were raised. But, but this one, this heart wound is a nature wound. And the only solution to the heart wound is Jesus. God created you to live life with him. And if you were raised in a home where Jesus, not just God, Jesus was absent from, from a real meaningful part of your family, then, then you've been missing something in your life. But when you allow your heart to open up and you say to Jesus, I want you to come, I want you to take me, I want you to love me, and you unite with him, the most important part of, of the completing of who you are happens. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this. Think about these verses. He said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. He who abides in me. Now this is an intimate abiding. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now, now the Lord is warning me and he's warning you. Not, not in a mean way. He says you got to understand you were made. You were made to live in an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's real. You were made to be spiritual. You were made to pray and know you're connecting with God. You were made for God to speak into your life and heart. You were made for God to guide you and guard you. You were made to live a life of faith. And don't miss this one, you ready? I don't talk about this one often enough. You were made to experience miracles. And you were made with destiny in mind. But that destiny will never be fulfilled unless you grab hold of this life with Jesus so your God and your King and your Lord will adopt you into a family setting and draw you close to himself and guide you to who you're supposed to be. And apart from him, you can do nothing. You ready this? But with him, you can do everything and nothing is impossible to you. So what kind of life do we want? The life of nothing or the life of miraculous, powerful, amazing things going on where we live it with God and we experience him and we see him working in amazing ways. And so we need to be people who do that. 
the, the, the plan we have in the coming weeks is to talk about the nurture wounds and the nature wound. And we want to establish the B on that list, if you want to see, is a clear and compelling manhood vision. And we want to create, the C is, a high-impact workable plan for life. But none of that will be successful if we don't have a relationship with the Lord. So I, I want to have some time right now to talk about how you get that. If you're brand new to this, how do you enter that relationship? You do it by saying yes. If you want to go in the military, you go and tell them, I want to come in. And then what they do is they put you through a certain things, including a physical. And when they finally say you're accepted, you stand and make a pledge. And when you make that pledge, by the way, you're surrendering your civilian rights. All you who are in the military know that, right? You, you surrender your civilian rights and you step up into a whole new allegiance. Well, guess what? When you say yes to Jesus, you're, you're surrendering the old nature that's hurting you and hindering you. And you're pledging yourself into something amazing. But you've got to make that pledge to him. And the way we make that pledge is in prayer. And uh, I'm about to lead a prayer where you can say that pledge to the Lord. A pledge to say, I want to be yours and I want this life with you. And your life will change and he'll draw you close. And tonight, if you've never committed your life to him, I want to give you a chance to do it. But some of you tonight, you need to recommit. Some of you tonight, even as we've talked, might say, you know, I never had that dad there. And it's made it hard for God and I to be close. And, and I've tried to be a Christian, but it's not working. And, and I'm not going to walk away, but it's not working. Well, I want to tell you tonight, recommit to him. It's not that you did anything wrong, but recommit. And say, I really want to get it right, Lord. Some of you might say, no, I, I've got some hindering in my life. And I, I've been manipulative at times. I've lacked direction. I, and I find myself wandering and I'm not close to the Lord anymore. And I'm not living a life where I'm saying, God, here's my destiny. Let me have it. And you need to recommit too. So if you've never committed your life to the Lord, when we go into this time of prayer, I'm going to lead a prayer and give you a chance to pray with me right where you're sitting. And if you need to recommit, I also want to ask you to do that with us too. And right where you're sitting, just to whisper that prayer to God, let's pray. Father, I want to pray and I want to ask that tonight your Holy Spirit would come in this room in a powerful way. And I pray we would be the men you want us to be. And God, that we would rise up to live the lives you have for us to live and to grab hold of the destiny you have and the amazing things we're to experience. And we would be men of God. And I pray tonight, Father, that if there's someone here who needs to know you as their father, as their dad, that Lord, you would reach down now and you would touch them stir up on them and right where they're sitting they would be ready now to pray this prayer and pledge their life to you and I want to pray Father if there's someone here who at one time was close to you and they're not close right now I pray that they would know how much you love them and they would want to use this time to commit themselves back to you and come home so Lord we pray for you to touch men in this room tonight and call them to you I want to ask that we keep praying. And right now, if you're right with God, I want to ask you to pray for those who need to make this decision. Really pray for them. But I'm going to lead that prayer. I'll say a line of it. And if you feel God calling you to do it, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. A prayer to commit your life to him. But I'd like to know, if you're going to pray this prayer with me, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Because God, praise God. Man, that is awesome. Praise the Lord. For you, praise God. And right here for you, praise the Lord for each of you. Wow, praise God. Right back here, praise God for you too. Wow. And right over here, praise the Lord for you, man. 
That is awesome. Praise God. Each one of you, God loves you so much. He really does. He wants to be close. He wants to have you with him. Okay, over here, praise God for you. Praise the Lord. Okay, all of you who God's touching, let's just, way up there, praise the Lord. And for you there, praise God. And for you, praise the Lord. Okay, all of you that God's touching, let's just pray this prayer together. Just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to draw me close to you that we might know each other. And I say, yes, I want this. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be the person you've always wanted me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. Because I'm yours now. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.